Welcome to another episode of It Takes a Village, a podcast of Healing Hands International based out of Nashville. My name is Taryn Foster and I'm joined by my co-host Mark Gent. Hey Mark. Hey Taryn. How's it going? Great. Great. Good. Fall is here. Fall is here. Best best season of the whole year. It is a great season. Yeah. Yeah. College football. What else for you? Uh, pumpkins, leaves changing, mm-hmm. just chilly weather, sweaters. Yeah. Those are all Everything. good things. Yes. Hey, I'm really excited about today's podcast. We have a special episode um, to focus on the earthquake that took place in Haiti on August 14th. Uh, Most of our listeners are probably aware there's a 7.2 magnitude earthquake that took place in Haiti. And for a a lot of years now, Healing Hands has had a a large presence in Haiti, you know, Taryn. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're fortunate today to be joined by uh, our coworker James Rucker. Um, James, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> it is an honor and a privilege to be here. I finally have made it to the show, and I've I've wanted to call in, but because it's not radio, I can't really call in. But I'm finally here. I wish it was under different circumstances, but it is an honor and a privilege to be here. Episode six, you made the top ten. Yeah. So James is uh, James works for Healing Hands uh, full time. He's uh, our water project coordinator. He lives in Titian, Haiti, with his wife Abigail and his two year old son Micaiah. Uh, he's currently stateside as he welcomed the arrival of their second son Boaz just a few weeks ago. Uh, James is originally uh, from the central coast of California. He's a graduate of Harding University. Go Bisons. And uh, he's been living in Haiti for the past five years. And for the past couple of years, he's been working for Healing Hands in this role as the Water Project Coordinator. So James, we're excited to have you on the podcast today. We do wish that it wasn't with this topic uh, matter, but we feel like you have great knowledge of not just... um, the country in Haiti, but also the, the current climate and what has happened after a natural disaster such as this. So thank you for joining us. Right. So tell us a little bit of what happened in Haiti, just general info. Um, well, uh, as Mark said, on August 14th, about 8.30 locally, Haiti was struck by a 7.2 magnitude earthquake on its southern peninsula. So think of Haiti as like a backward sea. That's how the, the country is shaped. And it was on the south south peninsula, about right in the middle. It was struck by this earthquake, and uh, lots of different cities were affected. Um, lots of mountainous communities were affected. And so far, over 2,020 um, people have died. Thousands have been seriously injured, and uh, tens of thousands um, of homes have been either destroyed or seriously damaged. So what areas were affected most? Because I know it was different. Everywhere was affected, but where would you say was the most Yeah, hit? so all of Haiti felt the earthquake, um, but the damage and, and, and the destruction was mostly isolated to the mountainous southern peninsula of Haiti. Um, some of those, the largest cities being Lakai, um, or as locals call it, Okai. Um, you, you may see it in the news, it looks like Leskais. Uh, that's that's French spelling. And then Jeremy is another town. Um, and then lots of smaller villages kind of scattered all throughout that, that peninsula have been um, bore the brunt of the earthquake. Okay. And what about where where our guys work? Yeah, so we, we are based in Titayan, and that's about 
um, less than 80 miles away. And while there was a lot of shaking, there was no serious damage. Um, and Port-au-Prince, which is the, the capital, which you could think of it being in the kind of the inside of that sea, it, um, while it also had a lot of shaking, there was, there was no major damage there. Okay. So, James, from the outset of our early days at Healing Hands, just for our listeners who maybe just be getting to know us, we have focused on disaster relief. Actually, the very first uh, project, the thing that really was the catalyst for Healing Hands to start was that class project that Dr. Randy Steger did 30 years ago uh, in the fall of 1991. That's right. And uh, that was in response to a disaster. So this has been uh, part of our ministry ever since our inception and is to go serve those in need when a disaster strikes. Uh, so this is really the core of who we are and what we do. But uh, So this isn't the first time we've responded um, to a disaster. That happens on a regular basis, unfortunately. But talk to us about how a natural disaster such as this affects a country like Haiti, because not only did the earthquake happen, but then a few days later a hurricane hit. And um, you were here at home. You had just got home with um, Abigail because uh, she was eight months pregnant, fixing to have your second child. And I know that was tough for you in that regard. Um, But, yeah, tell us about how a a natural disaster like this affects a country like Haiti. And also just how did this impact you being here at home as opposed to being there? Yeah, um, those are that's a great question, and really it affects Haiti on all levels. Um, so when you're on an island, what happens in one area affects the rest of the, the island. Yeah, and uh-huh. in a place that is resource um, strapped like like Haiti, um, you've got some serious problems. Um, and Haiti's in so it's in the tropics, um, and so it kind of reminds me a lot of like Florida where. Um, there's always a storm coming around and there's always going to be some kind of disaster coming coming through. And so the question is not if, but when is that mm-hmm. going to ha- happen? And it's also located right on a fault line. Um, and w- some of the some of the major issues um, after that is the lack of infrastructure and the uh, political climate that's down there that seems like things are always a whole lot worse in, in Haiti. And it seems like they, they keep on getting knocked down and knocked down. And as they're trying to get back up again, something else pushes them down and another wave comes back, comes by. But a lot of it is, is looking at its long-term development. Whenever you start having these short problems or these quick problems that are uh, emergencies and really, really intense, then the focus becomes not on the long-term development or the resilience, but how can we just stay alive uh, and how can we keep our head above water? That is, I mean, Haiti has traditionally been been set up like that. And even the past two years, uh, presidential assassinations with, um, there is uh, Hurricane Matthew that came through this exact area four years ago. And um, even as we've gone down and do, done relief, there have been um, buildings and families that have still not recovered even from four years ago from that that earthquake. I'm sorry, from that hurricane. And so it it, it affects it socially, it affects it politically, it um, it affects it on a on the small, and it affects it on the large. Mm-hmm. You know, as you're talking, what I think about for the people of Haiti is they're resilient, and you you have a lot of um, Obviously, a lot of friends in Haiti, uh, a lot of coworkers, but just a lot of people who are in your community talk about their resilience, talk about their determination and their perseverance when a moment like this happens. Because like you said, it's really for Haiti, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's, it has become 
uh, when is it going to happen? Yeah, um, Haitians are amazing, um, and they they <laughs> they kind of remind me of of the Jewish population in the Bible, where you feel like they are. Um, there's just constantly something happening to them, whether it's by outside enemies and outside forces or whether it's from internal strife that that's going on. But there's always um, bombardment happening and they and they they keep staying alive and they, they keep on moving. So the and I think from the even from the very beginning. So Haiti is the um, it started off as a slave colony and it's the first uh, and only successful slave re- revolution um, that I that I know about, and and so you have people that at the birth of its nation they were resilient, um, and they said no, we're we're not going to um, be enslaved any longer, and um, and that was a long, you know, I'm I'm paraphrasing all this because there's so much so much there and so much history, and how do you how do you consolidate that? But even there from the very beginning, and then they had rulers that that ruled over them in in just ways, um, and then for, Haiti is a very very rich. Com- country, not just in terms of culture, but in terms of physical resources. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know, but Haiti was was France's main colony. And um, after they lost to Haiti, Napoleon had to, had to sell the Louisiana Purchase to the U.S. to kind of make up um, some of that uh, some of that money because it was there. It was the. It's known as the pearl of the um, iniquities. There was so much wealth coming out, whether from fruit, whether from sugarcane, um, and then there's also gold um, and lots of of uh, resources there. But that also kind of becomes becomes its own curse of you know money corrupts uh, sometimes, and and we see that over and over again of whether it's local leaders or whether it's foreign policy that's that's affecting it. Um, and so over and over again, but you can either, you know, lay down and die or you get back up and you keep yeah. fighting. And that's, that's what the Haitians, that's what they do. That's what they do. That's uh, what they do. They get back up. Um, and, and to you personally, how was this, we're going to get more into just a second about your job, your role through being our, our, uh, our water coordinator there in Haiti. But for you, you'd been home for a few weeks. Um, you knew you were not going to, I mean, when it happened, you weren't going back anytime soon. How did this, for somebody who's so invested in Haiti, how did this like hit you personally, emotionally when this happened, but you, you weren't there? Uh, yeah, that it was hard. Um, so I'm a, I'm a field guy and I like being in the thick of it and I want to be wherever my team is. Mm-hmm. And so if my team is out sleeping in tents, I'm out sleeping in tents. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they're out on a bumpy road then I'm out on a bumpy road. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's hard to, hard to leave. And we, we, we were planning to, to leave to come back for uh, the birth of Boaz and see family, but it, it was hard leaving and everything was, was fairly normal. I remember uh, Abigail, so it was, at, it was 729 uh, in the morning in, in Nashville that it happened. Um, and so, because there's an hour difference, I remember Abigail saying, oh no, James, and she had just checked a message. And you just go from a relaxed state to everything just mm-hmm. tenses up. And you realize, just with those first few words, you there's a wave of emotion that comes over. And then my my natural tendency is to go into kind of a, a direct mode of okay, what needs to what needs to happen? Um, and so I, I started contacting all of our employees, started contacting all of our friends, and we have contacts kind of throughout throughout the island and throughout the country. And so checking to see, all right, hey, what places were affected and what places weren't affected? Because the, the 7.2 is, is larger than the, the earthquake that was there 11 years ago. And that, that can cause some serious damage. And I'm from California. Uh, I grew up about 45 miles away from Parkfield, which is the known as the earthquake capital of the world. And so I, I know what these things can do. 
and it just it just hits you like a like a baseball bat in the gut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned that you're the water project coordinator. Can you tell us kind of what you do on a daily basis in Haiti? Yeah, yeah. Um, it it changes. I, I you wear many different hats um, <laughs> being down there, and it is uh, it's my responsibility to coordinate with the local community, with the Haitian government, and with drillers for for drilling, for installing, and monitoring our water well sites. Uh, and these are these are hand pumps typically. So what okay. you what you see of of um, pumping, and there's nothing. Uh, it's all mechanical. There's nothing uh, electronic about most of them. And so typically that means meeting with our Haitian employees and coordinating the hand, uh, hand pump repairs, driving into Port-au-Prince to buy supplies and driving all over Haiti to work with locals um, to site possible borehole sites uh, and making sure things kind of keep running. And I'd, I'd like to say that, that um, try, try and make sure things keep running smoothly, but running smoothly doesn't typically happen in Haiti. So you're mm-hmm. just kind of making sure things are running because you got inflation and political upheaval and fuel shortages and gang activities and et cetera. And the list kind of goes on. And so the, the average day is very different, but basically yeah. is to keep things, keep things running so that we are drilling and we're interacting with the local community. Um, and we also have some, uh, Healing Hands International also has some women of hope projects, mm-hmm. um, around in that, in that area and some, um, education projects. And so kind of helping to coordinate those and make sure that those are, those are running. Okay. I had no idea you did that. That's so cool. Well, thanks. Yeah. Um, so what exactly are we doing in Haiti since, since you have a regular job in Haiti with the wells, you kind of had to pivot and help the people with them being displaced. So how, how, what are you doing for that? And then talk about how the team was affected, uh, emotionally, physically, and how, the typical work was affected. So yeah, just go yeah. into all that. Um, gotcha. Here, so here we, here we go. It was definitely a big pivot yeah. of we, we work, uh, we aimed to, to focus kind of on empowerment and uh-huh. that means education. That means working with locals. Our goal there is to, uh, how can we step out of the situation, mm-hmm. um, and, and help develop, um, communities there, but whenever a disaster like this hits, you change from that empowerment or, or from that development more to aid and to relief. Mm-hmm. Of you have people that literally need shelter over their heads, or they need water today, or they need food right. today, um, and so that's a that's a changed mindset. It's also a change in our daily operations of mm-hmm. with our team of instead of going out and fixing pumps or going out and installing pumps and going and working with our our communities of we've got over 350 um, working pumps all over the, the country. Instead of uh, working with those communities, we changed over. We started um, coordinating with other organizations, um, ones like the Jubilee School of Discipleship, ones like um, Hope for Haiti's Children and the Haiti Christian Development Project. Um, and a whole bunch of others, those are just some to, to mention, of saying, okay, what can we do for this this area that they are in desperate need? Uh, so we started off by, we, we help channel money to uh, support local doctors and provide food relief. But our, our main focus is what we, we started looking at, where, what are the resources and the tools that we have and how can we, um, and what are the needs that are that are actually there? There, there have been thousands of people that have been displaced. Their houses were completely destroyed, um, and so what we did, what we realized is, hey, shelter, temporary housing is a big, big deal. And we learned, we realized that tarps, well, tarps are an immediate one day or two day 
um, Band-Aid. Tarps get start deteriorating with the, the sun, and tarps are also really easy so that someone may receive one, but they may not be in the biggest need and submit. They may go and they may resell it or do do something else there, or, or they're also easy to get stolen. Um, and so we decided, hey, let's, let's build some simple houses. And so um, our main focus up to this point has been building temporary relief shelters. Uh, and each, each simple shelter is just a 10 by foot, 10 square foot built out of two by fours and sheet metal. And each of them has a, have a door and a window. Um, and all the material is bought in Haiti and can be later repurposed for whatever, whatever purpose that they, that they want. They're earthquake and storm resistant. And the locals have already really, really appreciated them. Up to date, we've we've built 48 of them, and they were meant to be a, a temporary, you know, for a few weeks or a few months. And uh, after each one, the the owner has said, "Hey, I'm even even after I rebuild my house, I'm keeping this. Like this is a really yeah. really solid um, solid structure." And so that's been really really neat. This has been kind of phase one for our housing. Uh, idea and has gone really really well. When we first went out, our, our team went out and we they they spent three days in the rain and the mud and they built three to the, three of these houses. We came up with a, a quick design um, here in the states and I, I sent it to them and our our. our Employees stayed out there working the mud, putting this thing, putting these things together. Um, and I think for the first night, they only slept three hours, and they went back at it. But they're able to to modify some of these designs and say, all right, what what works and what what fits the Haitian culture, um, and what do people like there? Because you know, it's interesting. Sometimes we have these ideas of, all right, we we want to give aid and we want to give what we want to give. Exactly. But that may not be what's actually appropriate in that context. And so uh, our workers were able to kind of modify the, the design a little bit. And then on the follow-up trip, we were able to be, build 45 of these tikais. Tikai just means small house in Creole um, over a two-week two-week period. And so kind of having perfected the design and gotten to a rhythm um, and our guys found a better place to, to sleep that was out of the weather because beforehand they were they slept in their truck, they slept underneath and it was just kind of constantly raining. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that Southern Peninsula gets a lot of rain. And as you know, I think as was mentioned earlier, two days after this earthquake, there was a, a big storm that came through and that I think in some areas it, it bucketed 15 um, inches of water. And we, we, we're seeing reports and pictures of videos of, um, of locals just out inside crying out as water was was coming down and you you saw mm-hmm. kids you saw babies kind of all of it so we realized you know what this is something that we can do right now they can have a long-term uh, effect and we start the relationship uh, with all these families um, and mm-hmm. we'll continue to walk walk through them on this yeah that's awesome now you touched on this just a minute ago while um, during that last question but uh, in a country such as Haiti it has got to be so incredibly difficult to choose who gets aid when you look around and you see you see the poverty, you see the conditions around you. So um, I guess for us as an organization, uh, Healing Hands, but also for you personally, how, how do you go about that discernment process and who gets aid, uh, such as like the temporary shelters and just on a general basis, the water wells, um, other parts of the ministry that you're part of? Yeah, Mark, that's, that's hard and it's always going to be difficult. Um, and... You know, you, you come up with ways to triage, um, and the main thing is that you you work with local church leaders and community leaders to to, to tell you more. Um, so one of it is you also try to know the culture more because it's so easy to come as an outsider, um, whether it's as as a foreigner or even if you're an outsider of of from an area and you come in of what's normal and what's not normal. Um, because to kind of untrained eyes, um, everything may may seem completely chaotic and and that everyone is poor, but. Truth be told, they they have systems in place, and they're already 
there's a there's a there's a structure there, um, and so being able to understand what's what's kind of going on and what is actually needed, um, and not all requests are truthful, and sometimes the people that are in the most need don't make those requests, mm, and so tough. being able to to find out the, the people that are truly in need, um, and uh, you know it's not always the the loudest people that yeah. that need that, and so uh, we work with local church leaders and community leaders. We also sent out one of our employees to to go out and survey a week beforehand and just to gather information. And he would meet with, with locals and we sent him out through public transportation. And so he didn't have any badges on or any, any anything that said, oh, hey, we're an NGO, we're, we're here, here to help. But he was able to go over and have these conversations with people. And he was able to, to get to kind of some of the root issues and find out also what's, what is long-term uh, cycle of poverty versus what is a, you know, this disaster has put us into this this place and we just need a, a helping hand to, to grab us and we'll help pull ourselves out versus that, you know, this is a long-term cycle of poverty that it's going to take more than just a, a small house to, to change this. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's, I mean, you have to work with your, with your partners there. You have to work with your, with the locals there. Um, cause if not, then you're, you're walking around blind. And we're going to touch on that in just a minute, but I love the fact of how we aid, equip and empower the local people, uh, to come alongside you, to come alongside us to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. So there was an earthquake, uh, 11 years ago now, um, so can you talk to us about the difference that you've seen between that and this one? Yeah. Um, so it's it's interesting. In January of 2010, there was a very strong earthquake, and it shook all of Haiti, and it changed Haiti's trajectory. And I think the entire world kind of woke up to what was going on in Haiti. And Port-au-Prince, which is the capital, um, a lot of it was destroyed. The presidential palace was was destroyed. Um, I had a, a mentor and friend that was down there and he was, he was flying out the next day and he said, when they went down to the airport and everything was just kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, at first they didn't realize how, how intense everything was. And then you realize, uh, as the, as the sun rose and everything was just covered in dust, it crippled the, the capital and, um, lots of resources, lots of trading and commerce all happened, you know, go to the the capital because it's an island nation and then pan out from there. And so all these systems are, are broken. I've been just getting, you know, the getting resources from one area to another just became super difficult. Um, and who was in charge, what's going on, all the records are, were, were destroyed. You had thousands of people that died and it, it was just, you know, it, it's ugly. Um, compared that to this one and where this hit, um, this most recent earthquake hit a more uh, rural area and Port-au-Prince was all intact, as well as the rest of the, the country was all all intact. Okay. Um, and, and so one of the benef- benefits there is that instead of having to send in relief aid from outside, our, our response has been able to say, hey, how can we buy materials inside of Haiti? That, mm-hmm. that not only does that boost the local Haitian economy um, and create more jobs there, but we're also able to get materials quicker and and speed up that entire process rather than having to wait on containers moving down from the states or from other areas and especially with with the covid related container shortage and and logistical issue and nightmare there um this has been it's been a whole lot better the response on on an international community level has been a whole lot better um i believe and the other thing is that Many organizations learned what not to do right. um, th- during the last during the last earthquake, and so there is a big push of, um, hey, how can we do this better, and how can we not just recover but build a, a better resilience and 
and set these Haitian communities off on a, on a higher level than, than what was done beforehand. Right. And I saw the hashtag Haitians helping Haitians. Can you explain what that means? Yeah. I thought it was cool. I'm so glad you brought that up. It's really, really <laughs> neat. Some of the international community down there said, hey, we really need to be be sharing this because instead of foreigners coming down and, mm-hmm. and helping, there was a huge outcry or huge uh, support of local Haitians saying, hey, I can do something here. Um, you know, I got, I got a report of a some farmers up in the up the mountains in a different area that they they filled up one or two large trucks of their all their own vegetables and they filled them up and they sent them in they said hey we this is what we got and so mm-hmm. we want to, to to help and so they they rented these trucks and they sent them over we we had doctors the Haitian doctors that said hey i i have skills and so i want to be used and so they all gathered into a, a van and just went and they didn't have a place to spend the night. They didn't have food. They just said, Hey, we, we know that we can help. And that was actually some of our first, first ways that we were able to partner within, within two days of, we were able to send funds down to, to these doctors that are they're saying, Hey, we, we can do stuff. We, we have the ability. And so we're able to, to partner with them. And it is, it's so, so beautiful of we, a lot of times we, we think with aid or with quote poor countries or third world countries that we have to come in as a developed country and have to fix everything. And save them. And save yeah. them. And, and the, the aid has to come from us. Mm-hmm. But truth be told, there's a lot of wealth within Haiti and there's a lot of resources within Haiti. And, you know, some of the big questions is management. How is that, how is that being managed there? And what's neat is Haitians helping Haitians of going around to say, hey, look, we're, we're not just poor, helpless Haitians and we can't right. do anything. We can do this our, our, ourselves. And so partner with us as, as we do this. And we can also do it typically better, more cost effective and get straight to the, straight to the point there. And so that was, uh, I would definitely encourage you to look up the hashtag Haitians helping Haitians because it's really inspiring. Yeah, that's empowering. That's really cool. So James, we've referenced that Healing Hands responds when a disaster like this happens. Talk to us about um, just how much money we've raised and how it's been used. And this isn't a spotlight on Healing Hands necessarily, but it's more a spotlight on all of the donors and all of the friends of Healing Hands and all the people who love Haiti who have sacrificially given and been generous with their resources uh, since the earthquake? Yes, it's it's phenomenal. There there have been over three hundred thousand dollars raised um, wow. for for this disaster, and that is that's not Healing Hands International. I mean, we are we are a, a medium in some ways. That is the donors. That's people's hearts being being touched. Um, and that money is just being funneled through us to then go to the people in Haiti. Yes. Directly. Yes. D- directly. And, and, and lots of different ways. So what's neat is because we already have a program there, we are not having to pay for anyone extra to, to fly down. We're not having to pay for, for some of those back, um, those back expenses that are not nice, but this is able to go directly into, um, this, uh, earthquake recovery and, and aid. And it's, it's, you know, there's more still coming in, but we've helped feed, we've helped house, we've helped transport these Haitian doctors. We've helped, we have, we have helped fund relief trips, which have surveyed churches of Christ schools and families and others. And one thing that's pretty neat is that we've helped provide clothes to medical evacuees because they literally had nothing, nothing other than the blood-stained clothes on their back of some of these people were airlifted and were transported out from the South to Port-au-Prince to go to the hospital to reset bones and uh, to receive medical aid there. But then 
once they leave the hospital, they literally don't have anything. Some of them didn't have shoes because they, they were transported out. And so we were able to, to partner with locals and say, hey, let's get you shoes. Let's get you clothes. And that wasn't something that was sent from the, the states. That's, they're able to buy that in country. What's also been neat is we've been able to install eight solar community lights in, in this affected area. And that, that opens up uh, people can operate a whole lot longer with, with more light there. Um, two smaller solar charging stations, 48 emergency shelters I mentioned uh, earlier, and each one costs about $850 in terms of, of just raw materials. And we've got plans to do a whole lot more of those. Part of it's difficult of, of to get down there. You have to go through a place called Marisant, which is kind of a gang-controlled area. Or it's not kind of, it is a gang-controlled area. And it... Uh, it's difficult, and so just just the the logistical issues um, of moving this this much resources can be difficult. But one of the things that I'm I'm super excited about is we have plans to distribute money directly to a lot of the victims. So as as we've gone out and as we have surveyed, we've we've gathered people's names, their their families, their um, you know what they do, how they were affected. Um, and what do they need now? And for a lot of these places, a lot, a lot of these families, they it's not uh, a whole new house. They just need a little bit of repairs done on their house. They might have two or three walls down. They might have had some, some medical bills. Someone may have gotten hurt, but it's not like they need everything. They just need a little bit of a boost. With a digital wallet, we're able to send money directly to them. And that means that there's no danger of a bandit stealing that money as we're going out there. It also means that the locals can then decide when do they need to buy that sack of, of cement, when do they need to buy that two-by-four, um, or do they need to pay for a, a, a school fee for this, or do they need to pay for a, a doctor's bill for this? And so we know that they're in need, but they are the ones that can decide best. Because uh, these are families that, um, I mean, they were there long before we were ever there, and they'll be there long before we, we uh, after we leave, um, and they know what, what they need. And so we're able to channel that act physically directly to them in small amounts. But what's amazing is I, I, I tend to think of, of money in development as kind of sugar to the to the body. Uh, a little bit of sugar kind of peps you up and, and gets you moving and it's great. But whenever you have too much sugar all at one time, you're going to crash and it can do it can do some serious harm. And so how do you manage that to mm-hmm. so that you can do the most positive effect uh, and you can in, in, encourage and and share love through through all of that. What I'm encouraged about what you're saying uh, through the over three hundred thousand dollars that's been raised that's come through Healing Hands is that uh, you've been able to facilitate that uh, from here at home. And as far as how that money gets used, you and Joe Smith and Chris Jingles in our office, making sure the money gets there. And uh, so thank you. Thank you for how you have been working really hard here at home. And I know it's been, it's hurt to not be there, even though you're enjoying time here at home with your family and baby Boaz. But um if people are listening and they're thinking, hey, how can I still help? The answer is yes. And if you're wondering, you know, it's been six weeks, uh, what, what can I do? Uh, we would encourage you, just go to our website, hhi.org. On the homepage right now, there's a banner about Haiti Crisis Relief. You can donate on the website. We're going to be with these people in the trenches for a long time. For, and, for Yeah, and, and the interesting thing is, you know, so it's the first, first reaction is an emotional response, but... 
we, we're committed to this this area. I mean, one, that's that's where I live, and that's where our employees live on a daily basis. But even with this this disaster relief, after a month or after two months, we're not going to be done. We're going to be continuing this and be a you know a year to two year long process because we want to make sure that when the next disaster hits, that these people are better off. Yeah. Um, and how 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 do we walk alongside and have these relationships? Um, and see, and, and typically that's not just a quick band aid. That's a that's a longer. You know, we're 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 working on empowering and empowering. Um, sadly, it doesn't take just a day. You know, it, it's a long long process there. So we um, there is no time frame for what this what, what this looks like, and it's not just all when, when the money runs out. But it's a uh, because we have employees that are down there. Um, it's going to be whenever the job's done. Yeah. So I I was thinking about stories and about how there are probably a million good stories that came out of this. Is there a powerful story that you can think of that you could share? Um, Wow. There are, there are many, many stories. And I think the other day in the office, I was sharing a story of how some local police thought that our guys were kidnapping one of the missionaries down there. Um, And, uh, and they should have concerned him with guns and stuff like that. And it ended up just being a, a really funny story that everyone was laughing about afterwards. But there's there's so many stories. There's also really super, super powerful stories in our, our team. You know, so one of the, the common, common questions that I ask my, my guys down there is, hey, is this still needed? You know, mm-hmm. just because we we can do something doesn't mean that we should do it. Is there actually a need? Because we can modify our, our responses. And they say, yes. Yes, it is, boss. Uh, they, they call me boss. It's a, it's a Haitian Haitian term. Um, it says yes, the, it is. It is needed, and and if it wasn't, we'd be back in our beds because whenever right. they they go out, they they sleep out there, and so they've been sleeping in tents. They've been sleeping in their own cars. They said, "Yeah, well, we we've got our own work to do back back home, but this is needed, and it will be needed for for a, a while." And so that has been encouraging. But one of the things that was was really powerful is is. Um, uh, I'm going to try not to <clears throat> tear up on this one because it kind of hit, hit close to home, but they they were going out and looking at a, an area and, and our surveyor had said, hey, this this family really needs some some help. And let me, um, we, we had two teams going, and there were about 13 guys down there um, and they all kind of gathered together and they, they heard the, the story of um, on the side of a kind of a, a ravine, there was a small house and there's a mom and dad, uh, young, young parents and a two-year-old there. Mm-hmm. And there was an earthquake when the earthquake happened, they, the, the parents kind of fell down the ravine as the shaking was happening because the, the shaking lasted for a full minute and it was, it was some really intense shaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but the baby was left, um, up at the house and the, the wall fell on yes. on the the child, um, and then the the wall was so heavy that they couldn't get the wall up for for a while, and they had to dig dig out and dig under, and um, the baby didn't didn't make it. And so as our as our team team got there, um, I think it, it affected all of them. There was lots of lots of tears. They said, you know what? Hey, we are we're going to stop here and we're going to clean up all this rubble because that rubble was was still there. And and you got um, you know it wasn't a large house, but all their houses m- most most of these houses are. Um, are either rock and and mud with tin, or um, if you're if you're wealthy enough, then you can have a, a cement block, concrete block house. And so this was a small concrete block house, and the wall had fallen. And so they said, "Hey, we're gonna um, we're gonna spend the rest of this day, and we're gonna clean up this this area." Um, and I think I think they had planned to, to build six of these these houses, and they said we're just gonna focus on this. Um, let's go grab some bags of of cement, and we're gonna do the do the floor nice. 
And they said, we, we don't want this family to have to look at this giant wall where their son was trapped and where, where they, they literally couldn't do anything and couldn't reach him in time. You know, I, I talked to my guys and say, yeah, that's, that's the reason why we're, why we're there. And uh, when I was telling Joe about it, uh, I started talk, talking to him. I said, Hey, you know what? Uh, hold on. Just give me, just give me a little bit. Cause I got a two year old and, uh, and a you know four four week old and it just it hit close to home mm-hmm. and then there's there's one other one of of a, a little bit happier story of a, of a dad and his two boys and a wall fell and it hit both of his boys and both of their their legs and broke both of their legs so that's four legs broken wow. um, but we're, we're thankful that the the, the um, sons were were okay and. Uh, whenever we, whenever our guys came up to, to see him, they were sleeping underneath the tree in the rain with a small tarp over him, um, and they'd already seen medical care. But we realized, you know, that this is, you know, one of the big issues with this is infections. Um, mm-hmm. And so, how do we get these boys out of, out of the rain um, and build build these houses? And and we're we're looking at, you know, this is a demographic and a and a socioeconomic group of of these people didn't make this decision. You know, when an earthquake comes. It, it doesn't respect people. It, right. it hits everything. And um, these are people that, that they're, they're, they love their children and they love their families and they, they, they didn't ask for this. And it's, it's hard and they, they didn't choose this. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's a blessing to be able to go in and, and to provide aid uh, and, to, and relief. It's humbling to be able to be part of an organization that, that d- does this. And while I would rather be there on, on the ground, as, as we mentioned earlier, um, it has been so neat to see the inner workings on this side and then to have people that I trust wholeheartedly and say, hey, look, what, what do you need? What can we get you? Because you you see the needs that are there, how can we support you? And so that's been a huge blessing. I, I want to give a shout out to everyone that works in the office, but then um, all the donors and anyone that has reached out because that's that's been huge. And it's it's neat to know. I guess I get to see the full picture from from donor down to these houses being built. And it's not it's not about the houses; it's about the people. It is a blessing to be able to to be a part of this ministry. And as I think about those stories, uh, like those are just two stories. Um, of countless that um, that are out there, and these aren't stories that'll be making the headlines. Uh, these aren't stories that uh, people will be reading about online. Um, so continue to pray for uh, the people of Haiti. As we begin to just pull the boat into the dock here, I ask you recently, uh, how has it been being home? <laughs> and uh, you had an interesting answer to that question that really hit me, but I understand now why you answered it the way you did. So I quickly came to learn that uh, you get asked that question often right. and that you, you you probably get the same response. So tell our listeners what your response is uh, when you get that question. Hey, how is it being home? Yeah, so home is not it's not not the states, and so one home is kind of wherever wherever our family is, and our, typically our, our family is in Haiti. Um, and so Haiti is is home, and that's that's where we put our our roots. And I, I think that whenever you want to be working w- with with a, a people group wherever that is, whether that's your neighborhood, whether that's uh, a different state, or whether that's a, a different country across the world, you have to you have to sink root, roots in there. And so Haiti is home uh, wherever wherever Abigail and Boaz and Micaiah are, that's, that's home. But whenever we come back to the States and people say, welcome home, it, it doesn't feel like we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're coming home. It feels like we're, we're, uh, taking a little trip and, mm-hmm. uh, and God willing will be once Boaz's passport comes in, cause babies have to have passports. Um, then we will be heading back home 
um, in, in December, the, all, all four of us, um, to, to Haiti. And I'll be heading down for, for a week to, um, do some, do some logistical uh, planning and we're installing some wells. And so we're working on that. And women of hope have a, has a large, uh, microloan, um, co-op group that, uh, need to go, go down and kind of deliver some money and, and make sure everything's going well there. But we will be back home the beginning of December. Yeah. So James, the name of this podcast is uh, very appropriately, it takes a village, which applies so much to you and to the work that we do in Haiti. So two questions there. How have the people of Haiti been your village? Yeah. Um, huge. Uh, you, you learn from other people and you learn from those around you, especially if you're, if you're willing to, and so we have been humbled. Uh, we um, have been learning the language, and you you learn so much through that. But um, with our neighbors, I mean, I I was I was thinking you you had prepped me with this question beforehand. I started thinking about you know people like Domival and and Piachal and Pasus and Alex and Lala and and Aaron and all of our employees, Shedlison, Patrick, Tipa, uh, Phoenix. And, and there's so many more. And I, I just wanted to give a shout out to those people because, you know, it takes a village. Those are people that uh, affect you. And, and um, every, everyone has their own, own village and everyone has those those names that, that come up. And so uh, while I work in a lot of villages in, in Haiti, there's there's definitely uh, th- those communities as well as those individual uh, people that are that are part of my part of my Haitian village. Yeah. So, so James, you are fluent in Creole. You on T-Crass. And how long did it take you to learn the language? Uh, roughly about two years of, of coming down. And I think after about two years, we um, I, I could go around and I didn't, uh, I felt comfortable going around in, in most situations and not really having issues. So James, uh, how's your day going so far? And how are things at home right now with a four-week-old, um, Micaiah running around? You know, avec Jazzy, tout bien. Uh, I believe you. I think you're fluent in Creole. That's awesome. So, James, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for what you do for Healing Hands, but more what you do for the people of Haiti as you just pour your life into this ministry uh, and as you pour your life into that village and to those people. Grateful and thankful that you're part of our team. Thank you, Mark. That yeah. means that means a whole lot. And you know, what I tell people, because a lot of people say, "Oh, I couldn't do what you 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 do," and I say, "You know what? I I, I couldn't do what you do." <laughs> of you know, we're all part of a of a large body and a large team, and there there are people that you can reach out and that you can affect and that you can encourage, uh, right where you are in Nashville or wherever you're listening that I can't touch. And so, look to see what is the difference that you can make and who can you empower uh, within your own circles. Yeah, we're very thankful for you and everything you do. And for our listeners, thank you so much for joining us and being part of our community here on the podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and keep listening to us on whatever podcast platform is your favorite. 
And if you want to learn more about what we do at Healing Hands, what more that James does, uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or and Twitter is HHI Updates. And also share it on social media and spread the word. Thank you, guys. It's been great. Na 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 na